Hey everybody, it is episode 63 of the Running Rogue podcast. Steve is with me here in Austin, Texas at Rogue. Hey Steve. Hello podcast world. We're super excited to have a special guest today to finally get to a topic that we've been talking about for too long and just haven't been able to schedule. And we're talking, so, but yet people have asked us continuously to cover this topic. And so today we're talking about training as a master's. Basically, as you start to age, what are some training considerations as you get older that you should bring into the mix? And so for that conversation, we have a road coach, the very venerable and famous in, in her own way, Carmen Troncoso, who is here to join us. Hey, Carmen. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Carmen is, is one of our coaches. He coaches a 5K, 10K focused group here with us in Austin and is basically a badass. Pretty a much. running badass has Pretty been much. has been competing herself at the professional level and at the masters level for a long time, and is basically an expert on this topic. So we're super excited to have her in the mix to talk about how you should think about training as you age. So we'll get to that in a second. Of course, we've got some big topics to go here, Steve. The Austin Marathon and Half Marathon was this past weekend, so we got some races to recap there. We're gonna start on the women's marathon side because we had a big win repeat repeat win from Allison Maxis who is our one of our podcast guests our longtime rogue employee and the head of rogue expeditions for us here in Austin she was also coached by Carmen for a while that's true when she first <laughs> moved <laughs> when, she first, when she first moved to Austin she was yeah. coached by Carmen it was a good move for her and, yeah, and when she moved up in distance yeah started started working with Steve and is still coached by Steve Allison Max is one in 243 got the Olympic trials qualifying standard one by three minutes over Ashley Paulson pretty much going away I mean she was unchallenged after about mile 10. The third place finisher, Deanne Arthur, was with her through about mile 10, but then Allison pulled away on the rolling hills of infield and never looked back to pull away for a three-minute win. You saw her, I know, a couple times. Yeah, I got Steve, to right? see her. I saw her at the – I mean, I saw everybody at about two, two and a, at about two miles, and then I saw her again at um, just before eight, and then I saw her at 15. No, 12, and then I saw her at 18, and I saw her near the finish. So I got to see her four times. Yeah. She, um, you know, our, our plan going in, we didn't really know how real the two other runners were in the who were in the field. Carmen just, I mean, uh, Allison just had their, like, their stats that had been given out. Um, so one had run a 246, one had run a 245. We didn't realize that Ashley had run her 245 at the Houston Marathon. A um, month ago. A month ago, correct. So she had a pretty... That's 246 pretty, is amazing a uh, month apart. It is very much so, especially on the Austin course. But we, I, I was a little worried that that, Carm, that Allison would have more competition and that the the woman would women would try to run with her for a while. And Allison went out pretty fast last year on a really hot day, and I also wanted to try to be sure that she didn't go out too too fast. So we set a plan to be pretty conservative the first three miles, and then we were going to race whatever happened. Um, but I made a the the day before. You know, we do our pre-race stuff a little different. I do my pre-race stuff with Allison a little bit differently than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, I think that you, if there are ladies with you and you're having competition, you should push through on infield. And she raised her eyebrows and was a little bit 
I think she was a little taken back by that. But, you know, having wa- listened to your, you know, mile by mile um, description of the course, Chris, and then also going on the, the day before going online and checking the actual elevation changes during that section, I thought there were enough ups and enough downs that the other ladies would get conservative and Allison could be aggressive. And since she knew the rest of the course really well, she'd done two race prep workouts on the course before the race started. I thought it would be a good move, and it really was. She was able to get away. She told me afterwards it was it was a clutch decision to make that. To, to make that. They, they never came back to her from there. She ran away from them, looked amazing at mile 18, and looked nearly as good at mile 25. Um, she just had an epic day, and I don't think people really can understand how fast 243 is low on this course. It was, I, it, it was close. It's definitely nearly as good as her PR. Um, yeah, I would say 240 shape. Yeah, and we thought she was in 240. She thought she was in 245 shape. Her last workout she did, I she looked as smooth as I've ever seen her. So I knew she was in a good rhythm place. I just didn't know how it would play out on this course. So was really happy for her to get that B standard off the charts and ha- this far out, and not have to think about it. Since she has a relatively busy life, it's nice to have that one done. That gives her her third straight Olympic trials qualifying standard. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 12, nearly 12 years of consistent work. Is it a work. course record? What's that? Is it a course record? Well, yeah, it's the first year. Course. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so course. I think it'll stay, yeah. that rec- that record will stay for a little bit. For a long time. Until they get more money, you know. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Impressive. Pretty even splits there for Allison. We also have to give a shout out to Sarah Jackson, who trains with us in Cedar Park under Jen Harney. She ran a 258 to get fourth place and place in the money. And she ran CIM. She did. She yeah. tub. She was tub three later. hour at CIM, and then went. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Really smart race for Sarah. She had a nice solid negative split to run that two fifty eight, which was a PR for her. So congrats to Sarah. And if you want to learn more about Allison, she's been a guest for us on our episodes two and thirty nine, talking about some of our exploits with Rogue Expeditions and with the the Wonderland Trail FKT last summer. On the men's side, the marathon was pretty uneventful in a lot of ways. Joseph Whelan, who won 3M a month ago here in Austin, basically ran away from the gun and ran a fairly even 221 to win it. Some people thought Craig Leon, who was coming off of running a 213 at CIM a couple of months ago, might be the favorite but it looked like Craig decided to just kind of treat it as a long run he said he's doing another spring race another spring marathon coming up so it was just trying to get in a pretty smooth even rhythm race and so Joseph won in 221 Craig also in fairly even splits Craig Leon got 223 Daniel Bishop 226 David Fuentes was on the podium till the very end but lost in the final 2k as Daniel passed him just not enough miles for him at this point. Yeah. He's coming back off an injury and back into competitive, really getting back into competitive running. Um, David will be back, I'm sure. It, unless yeah. th- not what he wanted, but still he'll 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 do he'll be just fine. He will be. Daniel Bishop. I don't know if some people might remember he got second last year to Joe Thorne, almost challenged Joe at yeah. the very end last year. So he's been on the podium two years in a row, and I would say the time from Joseph. Pretty impressive to me that he ran what's like like a one oh eight, one oh nine at three M. Yeah. And then came back to run a two twenty one here. That's pretty pretty. Yeah, I think it shows that he was that he had another he was either coming off a really hard training cycle 
for that race or he had another it, those two times are not especially on the yeah. course that Austin is those are not apples to apples he had another gear at 3m so switching to the half pretty eventful half race on the women's side Allison Mendez Cleaver ended up second by only four seconds to Hillary Montgomery who trains under Steve Magnus as well. Both yeah, they the, both do the same workouts, Allie told me. Both of them me. ran 116 and were separated by four seconds. I know Allie made a move to try to catch her at mile 12 or close to mile 12. She did catch her on the Monster Hill on 15th Street. Yeah. Allie was still about three seconds, four seconds behind her. And I, Hillary came by us and she was jogging, like dying on that hill. <laughs> and Allie was like doing her little crazy face. Like, I don't really want to go any harder. I can't go any harder. And I just yelled at her. I won't tell you exactly what I said, <laughs> but um, I got in her space and I said, look at her. She's dying. And I ran alongside her for a couple of strides. And then Allie sort of realized, oh my, oh my God, she actually is dying up there. <laughs> yeah. And by the time they crested that hill, Allie got by her, but she said Hillary just tucked in behind her. She could hear her breathing, and she knew the breathing wasn't a man's breathing. It was a woman's <laughs> breathing. She was hoping she had dropped her. And, you know, Allie ran the mile the day before. That's what I was going to so say. She, did, she didn't have any mile. gears. She didn't have yeah. any gears in that race, she said, and she didn't have any gears left over. I said she probably would have won if she didn't run the mile. But it's still probably okay to have run the mile. You know, you have a plan. You execute your plan, yeah. and you don't worry about it, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. She looked great in the mile, too. Yeah, her, her coach didn't care because he was going to win no matter what. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did she run in the mile? I didn't see that. 501. Oh, yeah. 501. Yeah. But she went out pretty hard and got herself into some trouble yeah. and then came back a little bit. But that race went out pretty fast. It was... It was uh, so. What place did she get there? Fourth, I think. Because Dana fourth, won. Fourth, fifth, yeah. Dana was, won, and back. then Jen, and then somebody else was in there. Oh, uh, Mary Beth Hamilton, who is a okay. UT. She has one more season of eligibility outdoors for UT. She ran a fourth. So Mary Beth Hamilton ran a four forty three in the Husky meet this oh, okay. this just a couple weeks ago. Interesting. So. Yeah, the times were pretty good for yeah. that for mm -hmm. just a little bit of race. It's a big race for for Jen Hall. We she yeah. finally. You're seeing her at her strength in the event that she really is the best at, which is the 1500, and her coach, Ryan, is trying to get her to be able to be better at the 5K, so he's making her do some of these non-traditional races yeah. for her. But um, when you see her in her main event, that she did really well. So Hillary and Allie were both 1-2 and 116. Jocelyn Todd about a minute back in 117 to round out the podium on the half for the women. On the men's side, Patrick Smythe ran a blazing 104 on this course. You know, Patrick was a marathon Olympic trials qualifier back in the day, but it's been probably eight years. Well, he went to the mountain running. He's been on a couple, made a okay. world, couple world mountain running teams like, like Fuentes has. Yeah. Um, but he was gone. When I saw them at yeah. mile seven or eight, he had, he, I swear he had a mile on the field. It was, he was, he was absolutely gone and he looked really, really good. Yeah. So he won going away in one Oh four, the second place and third place for one Oh eight. About 30 seconds apart. I think it was Robert Root and Luke Humphrey. Luke Humphrey trained it's with a Hanson's, a Hanson's runner. Yeah. Although I haven't seen his name in a while. 108 seems kind of slow for him. So I don't know. Maybe he was treating it as a workout or something like that. So solid races all around, though. Pretty competitive and, and fast times for a tough Austin course. Congrats to everybody who raced. We had lots of rogues out there. I got to give a shout out to the marathoners, particularly in my group. I had four marathoners run and all of them PR'd and executed a solid plan with with 
nice, were you nice finishes? Were you running or were you um, pacing? I was pacing a friend, a couple friends really. It ended up Tim and Jay <laughs> kind of were together, <laughs> so I was working with both of them. And then I went to the finish to see some of my runners at the end. But it was a good day overall yeah. for a lot of rogues. But, you know, tough. I mean, the course is tough. Conditions were pretty good. I think those that were affected by the humidity more than others might have had a tough day. I know that Iram, who I was pacing, struggled with the humidity because he tends to lose a lot of fluid that way. Yeah, and the same thing happened with um, Rich Hatch, who yep. also has challenges with that. Although I think he was loading up on Gatorade really early in the race, and that probably had a bigger effect on him. But, <laughs> uh, you know, on my team, Rogue Athletes, had a really, really good day given conditions. We We took it pretty conservatively with most of them and followed damn near exactly your plan so um the only person who didn't follow that plan to a t uh ended up having a really really good day but i think he was just ready really really ready yeah. so yeah so i mean yeah for me with the plan all the feedback i'm getting is seems like it was a pretty pretty dead on you know i had a random person come up at the end of the race and say she got her sub four thanks to the plan. Had a few other. We got an email today from somebody who got a Boston qualifier following the plan. So that's good to hear. Although if you have feedback and you ran it, you following my plan one way or the other, whether you got your goal or not, definitely shoot me an email. I would love to hear feedback. Chris at roguerunning.com. You can always reach me there. All right. So that was Austin. Overall, congrats to the High Five Events team for putting on another amazing race. And... Congrats to all of the finishers there. We also have to talk about USA Indoors now as a recap. We did a little bit of predictions on the last one, Steve. And we might as well start with the men's 800 because I pretty much just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, you did. Podium. One, two, three. Got them all right. Yep. In order. In, in order yeah. and and each name correct. So Donovan Brazier got the win. Drew Wendell ended up second coming from behind. And then Eric Sawinski Rounded out the podium there. Donovan and Drew are both going to their world team. That's Drew's second world team. And Donovan Brazier almost got the American record, but he kind of let up at the very end and let it go. Yeah, it's inexplicable. <laughs> and then afterwards he made comments saying, oh, I, I didn't know how close I was, but as you said, Chris, he was looking right at the, the clock. clock was so right there. <laughs> either, the, either it means that he didn't know what the American record was, which is entirely possible. He is yeah. basically 19 years old, right? Yeah. I don't know if yeah. he's even that. I don't know exactly how old he is now, but he's somewhere. I think he's still in his teens. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it, it. believe me, those records are coming. All records, except for the world record, potentially are coming for him. I do think he has the skill set to be in a world record holder, but that record that was set on that Olympic Games in the greatest 800-meter race that's ever ever happened ever is going to yeah. be a tough one to catch but he is definitely proving now that he can run consistently from the front from the back any way he needs to although he's smart enough to know to stay in an indoor race near this front as far as he can yeah, i mean and he was smart i mean eric eric swensky had to take it out because he didn't have the standard so he took it out the first 400 donovan kind of tucked in and then made a then brazier just made a definitive move just after the 400 point and and shut it down. Drew was running at the very back and then came all the way back <laughs> in the final lap, essentially, to get that second spot. So you got to give him credit for sticking to his plan. Yeah, but I almost got it. I almost I would have gotten it right though if you if my if uh, Clayton Murphy hadn't been a complete and utter bonehead. M Murphy and, like, crapped the bed in the prelim, and which got is eliminated. what we I, we would have expected Donovan to do that, not yeah. not Murphy, but yeah, he 
he just gave Wendell too much room on a guy that can close like nobody's business. And yeah. as fast as Clayton is, he should know that he can't really close with Wendell. He's right. just, Drew Wendell is just too much of a closer. And he'd gapped him enough. And, and to Clayton's uh, credit, he was closing down on Wendell, but right. just didn't have enough room. And it's too late. It was too late. So he didn't make the final. He, he's in the first heat. Only, and that was a little bit weird the way they decided to spread those heats out. They changed I I things that on was them. Silly. But anyway, we don't we won't go into the minutia for our listeners. There's a lot of things that happen with how they seed races and where they, I mean, how they seed them and how many heats they run and how many they're going to take out of each heat. And when they change those things right coming into the championships, athletes are used to having them play out the way they think they're going to play out. And when they don't, it can it can adjust strategies a lot. And then there's the luck of the draw and who you get. So yeah. Part of that, we can chalk up to USATF bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're happy to do. <laughs> yes. So, Braves, you got the win in the win, uh, men's eight. Women's eight, the favorite, Aji Wilson. Did easily, her thing. Easily did her thing. I mean, she looked smooth in the prelim, winning that. And then won kind of going away in the in the in the final but you know raven rogers her soon-to-be training partner was right there on her shoulder trying to trying to close her down at the end but she just couldn't get it and they had gapped kayla edwards who got third by a full second at the end the big surprise to me was charlene lipsy who also trains with wilson was just dfl i mean she was i mean it, not to be seen in it the final actually it's that's played out for her all this year she had an incredible 2017 campaign but 2018 is turning out to be an utter dud for her she's gonna have to get her head on straight and figure out what's going on maybe she's been sick maybe she got hurt earlier in the year i don't know but she is not running well right now to the point where i wouldn't even if i were a coach i wouldn't even put her on her starting line right. she's she's not doing herself any favors to get dead last barely make it into the final then get dead last in the final is not a good thing for her that's not a good place to be yeah, and she wasn't even competitive, which is the weird part to me. So, Ozzy Wilson and Raven Rogers off to the world champs. That's Raven Rogers' first world or U.S. team, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, c- congrats to her. Those three training together, though, will be quite a force. Oh, it's going to be incredible. In and Raven is, I mean, Ajay is the real deal. We all know that. And she's really relatively young. Remember, she, she did not actually go to college. So, she's f- really, in a lot of ways almost the same age, around the same age as Raven. But Raven is, her 400-meter wheels are incredible. She won an NCAA championship title on a 4x4 for Oregon on a couple of different occasions. Um, And she's, they're going to be a great training crew in that group. It's going to be really interesting to see how they dominate over the next couple of years. And all four of those athletes were sending in the eight. I think have a chance, legit chance to medal in Birmingham in the UK coming up here for world, the world championships because indoor eight, so it's like you just never know. It is. It's true. <laughs> I mean, so all of them will be competitive, particularly Brazier if he can be smart and Wilson. But I think Wendell and Rogers have a chance to be in the mix too if they play their cards right. So we'll see. That'll be something to watch and we'll certainly have that preview coming up. So going to the 15, we'll start on the men's side there. Both the 15 and the 3K were doubles. And they ran them the Chilimo, same way. Chilimo yeah. and Houlihan. Well, not really. I mean... Well, they didn't run their races the same way. I mean that they yeah, yeah. they won... Both of them won their races nearly the same way for both of them. But 
Chalimo well, did it his way. <laughs> yes, he pulled his okay. Mo Farah. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He <laughs> ran his race, getting to the front with a couple laps to go, and then running everybody off, right? Yes. So, yeah, <laughs> men's, men's 15, Chalimo won. You know, and Chalimo is a 5K runner, essentially. I mean, that's where he's been focusing it on, on the outdoor s- side. But he basically dictated the men's 15 from the front and took the lead with about 800 to go and just never looked back and outkicked the guys at the end. Ben Blankenship could have had him. He got second, but he was too far out, you know, going into that last lap. But Chalimo closed in 26-7 too. He did, but Blankenship closed faster. He did, and if he'd been a little, you say if he'd have been a little closer, could he have caught him? But you have to realize that he would have had to have run faster during that section. Sure. Those puts and takes, as you like to say, they they all add up somewhere. So it doesn't really matter. Because Chalimo Chalimo won, <laughs> and and but I'm glad Blankenship is going on the team because he's somebody who has more of an opportunity to be of impact, in my opinion. Well, Chalimo's not racing the 15. He says he's just doing the 3K. So Angles goes right, and it'll be which is great for the U.S. because yeah. he really needs to get into what you know. He's been he's been really close to making teams before, but he hasn't made one. And this it's great for him to make a team in his very first year as a pro. And Ben Blankenship is just. A salty racer, so you never know, depending on how that race. Yeah, and supposedly plays he's thirty-eight out. years old. But anyway, <laughs> he's been cagey about that. <laughs> Nobody knows how old Ben Blankenship is, apparently, <laughs> and he won't answer the question. Well, and he wears that headband. He, I mean, he is for all intents and purposes, it could be a hippie burnout from the sixties and seventies because he wears that weird <laughs> yeah, headband and that long hair old. and beard. <laughs> but this Might is Craig Eagles. Too. Yeah, that's this true. is Craig Eagles <laughs> who got third. His first world team now training for the Oregon Project. So at least. In spite of Murphy not making it in the eight, they get angles to go in the 15. And the women's 15, to me, was an absolutely fascinating race because it came down to the last lap. And Shelby Houlihan, who won the 3K as well, basically went into that last turn. Yeah, 50, 75 meters from the finish. In fifth and (laughs) won, a la Jenny Simpson style, just absolutely crushing the final straight away. Colleen Quigley got second, who, and so you picked that one too accurately. And then Shannon Saika got third, and she's going to get to go to the world team as well because Houlihan's going to focus on the 3K as well. Really fascinating race to me. It was kind of interesting how that one played out because it was relatively slow early, but then started to heat up. And then you had one after another of kind of pretenders go and try to take it in that last lap. It started with Corey McGee right before the last lap. Then Sarah Vaughn tried to take it, and then Quigley finally got to the front, but but then Shelby came around her at the <laughs> end. So it was like it was all about patience for Houlihan, and she was the one who waited till the very end and let it go at the right time for the win. But it's obvious that she is sharp, sharp, sharp right now. Yeah, it was. I mean, I don't think that. I think she is a real chance to medal in the 3K. Uh, that's a big, big, big statement given how talented the world is, but. It's also an indicator of how how far the U.S. has come in these middle and long distance races. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I'm excited to make our predictions for Worlds. Yes, and Quigley has a chance too. I think going in the 15 because she has shown that she's pretty sharp as well. So we'll see, and that's more of a tactical race. So it could be interesting. On the 3K side, it was basically U.S. Army on the men's side. Yeah, it was crazy. They had three of the top four. Ryan Hill from the Oregon Project tried to get in the mix, but he's just outmatched. I mean, Chalimo, again, 
kind of winning from the front. Kipchichir right behind him. Kipchichir was all over that track. I mean, he he, I, 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 you know, at the end, Ryan said he shouldn't be DQ'd. It would be silly to have another DQ, and, you know, Jerry's not Alberto, so right. he's not going to try to right. throw in. This is in reference to a couple years ago where yep. Alberto protested and protested. But um, it, regardless, Shadrach Kipchichir looked like, like – Brenda Martinez there, like flying all over the track, <laughs> running, getting into everybody's way, banging into people. I mean, but it is we. How many times have we said Shadrach Kipchichir's name in the last six months, Chris? A lot. I don't. Uh, this guy. Him, career, Chalimo. They raced over the place. all. Yeah, Chalimo hasn't raced so so much, but Shadrach Kipchichir has raced as much as Leonard Career has, and Chalimo has won everything from twenty k all the way down to 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 now a three k three k and was <laughs> in the mix of the fifteen hundred with fifty. 50 yep. meters to go still yep. in the mix. I don't that guy is that is just crazy to see how good he has gotten over the years. He's to me Shadrach Kipchichir when you look at a world team um and outdoors and you look at the where he could be in 2020 from an Olympic standpoint as much as I'm bull- as we're bullish on Chilimo, I think Kipchichir is somebody we've got to be talking about because he's got such a range and he's so strong and he's definitely feeling his oats. He is Definitely racing yeah. every chance he gets. Well, and Chalimo, both those guys will have a chance at Worlds. Yeah. The question to me is, what do you do if you're Ryan Hill? You know, here's a guy who came into the Orchid Project as a 1500 meter specialist, who had a monster kick, who used to dominate in longer 3K or 5K races because if he was if he was close going into a last lap, Ryan Hill was going to outkick people. But now. He can't do that. Chalimo's got him. Kip Tashir's got him. I mean, think about if King Cesarek was in this race, what that would look like. I, I don't think Chalimo would have won. I can tell you. I yeah, think, so I think yeah. it would have been even won. worse for, for Hill. But the point is, if you're Hill, what do you do? I think the only thing you can do is get to the front the way Emma Coburn tried to do it in the 3K. You've got to get to the front earlier. You've got to stay in the front. You've got to wind it up. His kick is a wind-up kick. The problem is, is that can he wind up and kick, You know, right. which we know Chalimo can. He's done it. And... I mean, Chalimo's a silver Olympic silver medalist. So right. Ryan Hill, <laughs> right? It, 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 it's it's just it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. It's tough. I mean, for anybody that's not U.S. Army on the men's side, it's a tough go. <laughs> and if on the women's side, if you're not Nike Oregon Project, uh, sorry, Bowerman Track Club, then you're basically on the outside looking in as well. Houlihan took the 3K here. Now, Maria Hall on. Her teammate didn't have it at the end. She ended up fifth in this race. But this one came down to Coburn pushing it with 800 to go, basically splintering the group into three left for two spots. Houlihan, of course, we knew would win because she had the major kick. Coburn, though, couldn't hang off, hold off Katie Mackey at the end because Katie fought for it. She wanted it bad. She wanted it badly. <laughs> and Coburn knew. She knew she didn't have the kick to hang with those ladies, so she took it from 800 to go but she probably should have started winding up from further out yeah in her interview she said that she thought others were winding it up enough lauren paquette kind of picked it up a little bit there for a while and then somebody else took over for a little bit but they weren't pushing it enough so she had to go to the front at 800 i mean it was the only way she could do it if she'd gone at 1200 or or 1000 I, d- I don't think she would have won she might have been able to shake the tree enough to shake katie off but Katie, when you get her close enough to a finish line, she knows how to kick. You know, she's been really close to making Olympic teams. She was fourth in the 2016 Olympic trials. Um, but, you know, it was really exciting for Katie to make a world team after 
with it was her fourteenth try to make a world team and um world yep. olympic team and and she she finally got she's it she's been an alternate three times yep so she said it's about fucking time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i made a team in her interview and anyway congrats to her big result for her and that's the second brooks beast athlete to make a world team as well drew wendell being the other one so now they have their third world berth with drew having two and katie mackey having the third Fun races, though, all around. Yeah, it was exciting. The only thing I would say is they were on NBC. I was able to watch it because they had it on NBC, SN. But, man, Craig Mazbacks, we got to find somebody else. He's the worst. He is the worst. It's crazy. He's the worst. It's crazy because he was a a (laughs) world-class miler. He should be better than this. He's just too dry. He is. It's just like. Am I allowed to say anything bad about people? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. You can drop F bombs. You can just can edit this. But Ricard and I were just dying with Carmelita Gitter. Yeah. Uh, we're like, come on. <laughs> so right now I feel like her <laughs> listening to you guys. I'm like, oh. But uh, man, that yeah. was bad. Mazbeck's terrible. He's terrible. Yeah. He's terrible. And he's just so boring. I mean, there's there's stories to tell. And then and the guy they had interviewing people afterwards, he's terrible too. I mean, it, he he was the same guy they had at Milrose, and he, I remember after Aji Wilson and crew broke the four by eight hundred meter relay record, he goes up to the four of them and he's interviewing them, and he goes, he goes, congrats to everybody. I'm just gonna talk to Ajay. It <laughs> <laughs> stuck a mic in her, you know, face and asked one question, and the other three were just standing there like, what? Wait, well, what the rest of us. Lewis Johnson is a market improvement. But he's sure. at the Olympics, so right. he's you know For he's sure. he's that is the one person who it's nice to have there anyway because he can do the he Goodness, can do it better. But NBC get get and a new color guy on the just steal the, the guys distance. from the BBC take BB take the yeah, BBC's take the BBC like guy. fourth fourth string <laughs> seriously fourth string commentator and they're way way better. <laughs> you never want to w- with the accent. Yes, the seriously, accent, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And they can talk about their vests and whatever else. First anyway, losers. That's the <laughs> U.S. team for Worlds. We'll definitely do a little bit of a Worlds preview coming up, so stay tuned for that as that goes off in Birmingham in the U.K. All right, so let's get to our topic, Steve and Carmen. We've got to talk Masters training. But before we get into that, Steve, I'm going to let you go into it so that, so that our listeners understand a little bit about who they're hearing from here in, in Carmen Troncoso, who has an absolutely ridiculous resume, particularly at the master's level, but really all the way through her professional running career. And it is amazing coach as well. So give us a little preview. Sure. So Carmen, Carmen's bio. Carmen was born in New York City, but grew up in Mexico. I think you moved with the United States in what, 83 or 84? Back to here. Yes. Yeah. 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 83. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll hear um, as she's talking, she has her, she has a, a little bit of an accent, but um, New York accent. <laughs> yeah, a New York accent. <laughs> yeah. um, she's uh, she was basically a tennis player for a long most of your youth, correct? Correct. I didn't know you knew that. Yeah, he was a tennis player for most of her youth, and then got on the track and did some sprinting and long jumping. If Carmen, just so you know, is like five mm-hmm. foot 
what one and probably weigh like ninety five pounds somewhere around there. No, I'm, I'm up now. Yeah, she's <laughs> up yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> still looks like she's in high school though. And she's yeah. T90. To think of her being a long jumper is still a little bit of a, a little bit of a stretch <laughs> for me. But like Ricardo would say, the short jump. The right? short That's jump. <laughs> um, but she moved to Austin um, to get her master's degree at UT in exercise physiology. So she knows her she knows her stuff when it comes to sports science um she started really really succeeding and was a really good track runner but also really found your niche in cross country and most people who knew you in the late 90s early aughts knew you as um a ferocious cross country competitor but um also someone who had a chance to make a team or be on the edge of making a team um of course the distance that was a world team or olympic teams in the late early 90s was the 3k distance which was a little bit shorter than your expertise mm -hmm. probably um you were more of a 5k runner and maybe even a 10k in some cases but yeah. um carmen just so you know carmen made um four world cross-country championship teams so that's about as good as you can get other than being an olympian um qualified for three olympic trials correct um, yes. Take three yes. Olympic trials. Yeah. And then 88 was a, a um, an exhibition for the 5,000. Yeah. So that's, that was where I just started going, oh, maybe I can do this. Because yep. I, went, I went as an exhibition. So she had a really, really high-level competitive career as a, what we would call elite athlete, but pre-master's athlete. And then, um, actually, interestingly, in, in her 40th, first year 40th and 41st year she made two of her world cross-country teams as a master's runner um, which is pretty amazing um, and then after that was just ran away with every master's result nearly that you that you every time you showed up to u.s cross championships every woman over the age of 40 just slumped everybody but jody <laughs> hawkins right nobody else wanted to well she wasn't there until like i was right. 46 or yeah she, like she was yeah. five years younger than you or yeah. six years younger yeah. than you but Carmen won something like five or six national championships as a master's runner. I couldn't even go back to find the results for what you did on the roads because all through those years you were also assaulting the roads, had world U.S. records and still hold a few U.S. records at master's distances. Can you give us a little bit of – I was looking for those, but I couldn't find all of them. Um, uh, the only one that is still holds right now is uh, 40 um, – the 3,000 – the 3,000 at 40, I mean, master's record at 40. Um, and it is, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's 928. Yeah. Uh, so that still holds. And then I had the five and I had the 10 and I had the five miles and I, but they're all gone. Yeah, your, so, yeah. your, your 5K PR is 1550, um, but your master's 5K PR is 1605. Mm -hmm. So you didn't, you didn't, did not really play for you early on. Um, exactly. Yeah, as you yeah. got older, it seemed like you... I remember talking to you as, after you turned 45 or so, and you're like, uh, starting <laughs> to feel it. And then uh, talking to you at 50, you were like, okay, <laughs> we're making major adjustments. And that's part of what we want to talk about yeah. today is your experience as a master's athlete and how that's played out in terms of you sort of... You're really self... You and Ricardo co-coach you right mm -hmm. you're almost self-coached with great result with great help from your husband ricardo who actually was my coach for a while um <laughs> we have stories on that if i was even coachable which <laughs> is very much a question but um yeah and so you've you've 
you've got all that experience on yourself, but also through all these years, you've been coaching athletes really since the early 90s um, mm-hmm. consistently. So you've also watched some of those athletes that you were coaching in the 90s, you're still coaching today or, or maybe three to five years ago. And so you've worked with athletes at every level from going from 40 all the way up to 60, 70. And, and 70 now, yeah, and some 70s. And you're um, knocking on the 6-0 door soon, correct? What? Is it coming? It's coming <laughs> soon? It's coming soon to a theater near you? Yeah, near ne- you? next year. We're coming talking masters, year. so you can't avoid age yeah, yeah. discussion. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, next year. But not only are you going to be a great, a great, great for this episode from your own personal standpoint, but also from a coaching standpoint and the background that you have working with athletes. So... Hopefully, our listeners will recognize Carmen's bona fides with that and recognize her um, as hopefully being able to provide a whole lot of information for... Legit. It'll be only a que- uh, a, a, the weakness of our questions, not the, not the, not the, the weakness of her answers, for sure. Her yeah, experience she's is approaching there. 60 and can still beat most of pe- the, those listening <laughs> in a yes, 5K. That's exactly <laughs> true. Including <laughs> maybe even me. No. <laughs> so... My impressive. goal is to beat you, Chris. <laughs> 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 it wouldn't surprise me. And I would gladly accept that <laughs> loss with humility. So as we get into it, and so you've kind of experienced this from 40 to 60 now or close to 60. We're not going to put you there yet, Carbon. But first question that I know people ask, and I get this a lot from athletes I coach, from emails we've gotten is, at what point do you start slowing down? You know, how long can you train before you have to reset expectations and sort of reset personal records and think about, you know, your fastest times are behind you, but now I can sort of reset the, the bar, so to speak, and try to set master's PRs or whatever it may be. How old can you go and still get faster? Well, physiologically, I think, like, you, you can talk about just the general, like, w- what we know for everybody. It would be, like, the research says is about... Um, you start slowing down just around 40, but to me it's very hard to say, okay, you turn, you're 39.9 and then you turn 40 and you're gone. Um, <laughs> so it's somewhere around there. What I have, um, uh, uh, the, so also the research that I, w- I was looking at some stuff right now. So you go from um, 40, your first decade, 40 to 50 and maybe 50 to 60. It's, it's just more or less, um, you can figure it out. After that, it gets progressively, um, you lose a lot more. You lose double of the previous decades. After 60. After 60, (laughs) yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say 65 because I'm too close to that. But (laughs) (laughs) But here's the conflict, right? (laughs) That's what I found. But the other thing is that I, you know, back, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you found a lot of things about masters that are being proved wrong right now because, there weren't that many people continuing running. So um, somebody like uh, me at 55, 30 years ago was impossible to think about. And now, you know, I'm one of, you know, thousands and thousands. So I think things are changing and they're going to continue to change. But, uh, but, but I also think that it depends when you start slowing down so that not to be that negative is um, depends a lot on, your background and when did you start when um how much you have done and um how sporadically you have done it so that it becomes very individual at one point um uh, my observation is that we have about 
12 years of really, really hard work um, in our legs, no matter what distance you're running. And so if you start at 12, you're going to peak, um, you know, pretty early in your 20s. But um, that means like very, very hard work. I mean, like just a, an elite runner uh, that, you know, at, at that age. And, but if you start at 35, then you can be doing PRs at, you know, early 50s. But it all depends on your... So if you start later, you've got a little bit more time. I, I th- in, in, in certain ways, for you. You have more time for you, but, you, you know, for your abilities and everything. So if you, if you train really hard, then you still have those 12 years. And this is just very non, um, you know not proven this is just like my observation with elites with um, the runners that i coach and with myself yeah because yeah you know my experience coaching masters athletes is most of the athletes that come to me come to me where they started running in their mid 30s yeah. or maybe even even 40 and for some of them when they tell me that i'm like oh we've got prs to your 50 55 and they look at me like i'm absolutely crazy Mm-mm. and i'm like what well, you're a, you're We've got a lot of room to improve, yeah. but if they come to me and they've been running since they were 20 at a high at a high level, I'm always like, well, maybe our fastest times are behind us, and let's see if we can't do our very best, which I could be talking to a, an athlete at the same age in a one-on-one meeting and tell them complete, two completely different things exactly. based mostly on what their background is and how much, how much hard running they've done. Mm-hmm. But I do think someone like Jordan Hesse will be a great example over the years to see, does this play out? All the way, but I'm sure we'll get into these discussions about mileage and other things as well, because those things play into all of it. But yeah, and it also has to do with how smart you are in your training. So if you take your time to, even when you're younger, to um, take a break and recover and everything, so you you can stretch that time uh, a, a little bit. And then what time of what type of um, work do you do? Do you do too much mileage and too little intensity? And so it depends on a lot of things. But you know, you have. You have um, you c- you can still PR, and the easiest way to PR when you're older is just find a distance that you've never run in. <laughs> <laughs> there are tricks. <laughs> there are tricks yeah. to yeah. it. I still have lots of PRs in me if I, <laughs> if I wanted. Or to. move to the trails and go yes. for trail PRs. Yeah. 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 So there's different ways to skin it, but we have a lot of athletes in their 50 early 50s that are still PRing mm-hmm. in our groups because they did, as you said, Steve, start a little bit later. So. 40 isn't necessarily that line unless you started in your 20s, in which case it's going to be more difficult Mm -hmm. to keep building and improving. So it is relative. It's also relative to how you manage the whole process, as you were alluding to, Carmen. One thing I want to help people understand before we talk about training considerations is what's actually happening physiologically to runners as they age that's causing that speed to decrease are we losing aerobic capacity are we losing muscle strength what are we what's happening physiologically um well all of the above but um but i think i mean it's, it's not all lost i think you lose uh, so you have um you have your given vo2 max and uh, no matter who you are you're warm, born with this you know thing and vo2 max is your the ability of your body to um send blood to your uh, muscles or yeah, to your muscles, and then the muscles be able to extract that oxygen from the blood and then transform it into energy. So how efficient you are in that process dictates how high your VO2 max is. Um, and that's, that's just a number thing. So, um, so you can improve your 
uh, you know, like your blood volume and all that. And so that's why people go to altitude. But let's say we're still in Austin, we're here in Austin. So what happens to your, um, it could be your central system, which is your um, heart and your, um, um, so how, how fast your heart is beating and how much blood is it sending out, right? So you have those two things. That I wasn't sure. I didn't remember exactly, but I was. Um, I went and kind of looked at uh, looked it up a little bit right now, um, and it's 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 still the same. This you know I, what I found out is that you don't really lose that much, and if what you you lose a little bit of the heart rate, how many beats per minute you can, um, your body can um, um, w- beat, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Um, but how much? I mean, how much blood every beat is the important thing. That doesn't so the change the stroke that volume. The right? stroke volume, yes, yeah. and mm-hmm. so that doesn't change that much. So it's not enough to account for the, uh, you know, the the losses in, in um, per, per decade. So what starts happening? I mean, so I went to the periphery, which is like your muscle. So basically, yes, you you lose um, muscle mass. Um, which means that every single one of your muscles loses the ability to extract that oxygen. So that's where you start losing that part of the VO2 max, so the, the, the oxygen extraction capacity of that. So um, that's, that's one of the major things I think it is. But the other one, as you get even, um, I'm going to say 40s and 50s, 40 to 45, I mean 40 to 55, you might not see that much of a detriment there if you keep doing the same things. But I think if uh, after that, then you also start getting the um, um, neuromuscular um, um, slowness. Like, so you start slowing down on how quickly your um, brain sends a signal to your muscles to contract and relax. So it's not so much the contraction where I found in the research is, is a relaxation. And same thing with the heart. So. Um, you might be able to pump as much, but you, 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 but your um, heart can't relax as quickly, and so it fills up slower. Mm. And so that's what. So that's one of the things, and you can't do anything about that part. So that <laughs> thing. <laughs> so training affects that zero. Zero, yeah. Where the other ones, uh, which is the muscle mass and all that, it's um, you know really easy. Not, not easy, but you can um, stop it a little bit with w- weight training, with um, dynamic exercise and all that. And then the other one, very important, is the flexibility. And you start losing the, uh, um, not so much the muscles, but the flexibility in your tendons. And so your stride starts getting shorter and shorter because you don't have that power to generate from the, uh, from the tendons. So uh, more stretching and more... Um, I also found that the more uh, it has to be more dynamic stretching and not the static stretching. That um, so know. so from a meta level, from the top mm-hmm. level, what are sort of like the three biggest things you would tell an athlete? Um, let's just say we're we're going to choose an athlete now who's forty five years old, and then we'll do it for fifty five and sixty five. <laughs> what are the three mm-hmm. most important considerations or factors that they need to look at? in their training if you had to say from the meta level you had five minutes to discuss something on the track to say these are the five things three things that you need to do to improve you the most at 45 55 and 65 do they change or are they same Mm, i would change them a little bit but not much more than anything i would change the um the percentage of that you focus on each one but i would say um 
rest and recovery would be the most important one. And you have to, and this, um, I, I was guilty of not doing the first time, which was around 40, 43 to 44, when I started seeing, like, I, I was getting a little more uh, sore spots and injuries. And so it took me a couple of years to realize what was happening. So what you want to do is, like, focus more on your recovery than how hard you're training. Um, if you focus on the recovery, I think you can lengthen the amount of time that you can work just as hard. But you're going to have like, um, you know, two or three more days in between those workouts. So you're maximizing the efficiency of your workouts and your long runs or whatever you do. So rest would be the first one when you're 40, 45. Rest and recovery and make sure that you adapt your uh, training Um as soon as you can, because it's um, it's it's just not it. To talk to anybody who's already fifty, and they're gonna tell you, I you know, I, I should have done this a little bit earlier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but nobody wants to believe that that's right. you're heading that Unless way. Unless you're like me and you didn't run for twenty years, and then you <laughs> get back at it, and <laughs> you're you're made painfully aware of that there's significant limitations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, secondly, a, and I would actually stress this prior to forty-five. So if you're thirty-five, start doing weights. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I would do. Um, uh, because once you start getting into those losses, then it's extremely hard to come back, to bring back the, the muscles. And you, and you lose, I mean, the, the things that you can see are, are obvious, right? You can, you can see, oh my God, my hamstring is gone or my butt is gone. Or, um, but inside, um, we lose um, the fast twitch muscles first. And those are gone. Like, so if you had any fast twitch muscle and it's gone, you can't recover it because you can't, not, you can't build it up. So it's what you're born with um, that, you know, allows you to run either fast or faster. Um, but if you lose it, it's gone. And the uh, slow twitch muscle, are rec you can recover those a little bit. You've seen people go into weight training programs and they just uh, change their bodies completely. Um, you don't need to do that, but you can reduce the the um, s slowing process, I guess. But I would start in the 30s, in your 30s. So um, if you're on your way at 45 and you're doing that, you're, you're going to be good for another 10 years before you start losing it. Um, and then uh, nutrition. That's the only the other thing that I would start changing a little bit. Nutrition? Is, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know a lot about, I just know what works for me, what helps me but i'm not a nutritionist so but i would say you you really have to make sure that you're um not um uh, you know just the obvious junk food and uh so if you want to train the best that you can train no matter what distance or i mean no matter what um speed or who you are you, you need to be um very mindful of what you put in your body too is that because as you age with that is that because your body is going to process those foods much better. I'm, I'm assuming that's part of it. And how much of it is that and how much of it is... I have noticed that as I got over the age of 50, my metabolism has slowed down and I oh. hold weight much, much longer. So yeah. if you don't eat correctly, you're going to pay for... You're going to gain weight quickly. It, is that... Yeah, well, I wasn't it, thinking that, but yes, that mm -hmm. that's very... Yeah, that's one major point there. Um, yeah, because... <laughs> 
um, when I turned 50, that started happening to me. And I could eat anything I wanted before that, and nothing would happen. And then suddenly I was on the other side of 90 yeah. Three that you said and and uh, just going up and up and up and then um so i had to kind of really m- be mindful of what i was eating um even though i always ate eaten well and everything it i had to be careful and i had to really pay attention a little more um but but also because we stop um just uh, as we get older we stop uh producing naturally a lot of nutrients or a lot of um enzymes and a lot of well, a lot of enzymes that are going to process those foods, yes. And so you need to kind of be careful with that a little more. So what change, you said at, at 45, you said rest and recovery, weight room. Weight room and, and nutrition. And nutrition. Yeah. Is where, what differences would there be or additions, maybe it's even easier to say additions on as you go to 55 or 65. Or how does that, what would what would change or does it change at all? Are those still the same three factors that are crucial? Well, I, I would say they're the three, the, those are my three most important factors the whole the whole way. But um, but I would, I don't know what I would um, start focusing a lot more in, flexibili- in, in flexibility, like tr- trying to do, um, focus on the little things, which I tell my runners, which is like, if, you know, if we can afford it, get a massage as, as, as often as you can because you need to get, um, flush all the waste product um, out of the legs. Uh, you can, um, if you can't afford that, foam rolling. Um, I have no idea how it works, but it works. So <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt about that. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just this simplest thing. I keep thinking it's. I. I. This is. A, this is a gift that we didn't have when I was 30. Right. And you know, 10 minutes a day is all I need. In yeah, I remember making fun of the stick, <laughs> the stick. when it, when you saw that at Marathon Expos 15 years 15 ago. <laughs> <it was> like <laughs> I know. Well, that's because <laughs> people were rubbing their bodies like it was like a like <laughs> like they were trying to get off. You know what I mean? It's like it's well, like so fast and furious. Like, come on, man, slow down, take your time. That and it was like we got to do this like the day before the marathon or something. Like there was some <laughs> kind of magic rolling they have thing like welts, happening at the expo. <laughs> But man, Bruises. were they ever right with that? <laughs> Yeah, well, back then was that, and there was the rope. Did you get the rope also? I did not get the, the rope. rope routine. <laughs> you, yeah. you you did. Yes, yeah. absolutely. The rope guys. So rest yeah. and recovery, weight, strength, and nutrition. And if you didn't just like smack me in the face at age thirty-eight here with things that I need to start worrying about, which but I'm these are the things we've been talking on our podcast about day in, day out, week in, mm. week out about it's the one true. percenters, right, Chris? But it's true, but it just becomes. Table stakes, you know, Absolutely. when you're 25, it's not table stakes. But when you're 35 and 45, it's table stakes because mm-hmm. otherwise. Well, you can't even play in the game. You can't right. play. Yep. So that's that's the difference. But but let's dry, let's drill into these a little bit more. And, and first, before we get to rest and recovery, particularly, I want to talk about kind of training volume and speed workouts, particularly and how those evolve so that you can get the recovery you need. So let's start with overall volume. From a mileage standpoint, a pure mileage standpoint, does that need to change as you age, or how does that evolve? I I don't I, I I don't think so. Steve knows that I'm super low volume, but but I mean I have gone lower, bec- ju- only because I can't do as much, and so I'm 
Have to. But let's give our listeners a little perspective. Just, just give them a little history. Carmen's highest weekly mileage of all time is 59 miles in one week. How do you know one that? Time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and as she said something to the effect of, because I remember you and I have had many, many conversations. Oh. Perhaps you thought I was completely obliterated drunk during the time, but I, my oh. memory is actually a little better than people give me credit for. But I do know that your sweet spot really was about 50 45 to 55 miles a week you were i remember running with you at times where it seemed like you could run and even in your 40s you could just hammer away two quality workouts a week consistently and get done what needed to get done but i was running 70 80 miles a week at the same time Mm -hmm. and both you and ricardo were like maybe that's not right for you because i think you guys thought i should have been at 65 and now i would agree that my sweet spot as an athlete was 65 miles a week and I was trying to run more than I really needed to at that time for mm-hmm. where I was at. But I just wanted our yeah. listeners to know, Carmen's coming at this from, I do believe you would agree with the statement, miles matter, though, that you've got to run miles. You've oh, yeah. got to do the work. And, yeah, yeah. But you just, for each person, it'll be a little bit different. So Yeah. And, and that, you know, I, I think, uh, Chris, I think if we go back to, um, if you have been a high volume person, you can stay, you can stay there. higher, I mean, like higher than uh, the non-high volume. So um, let me say, for example, yes, Steve is right. Uh, one week I hit 40, 59. And I remember a friend of mine going, and you didn't go out and run that extra mile to hit 60. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah, they don't know you very well. <laughs> no. Um, but I wasn't running marathons, and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, that was good enough for me for a half marathon so um, or a 10-miler. So, but yeah, my sweet spot was 48 to 55. I could, I could put two, two and a half hard workouts a week and just not even blink one day off. I always took one day off. That was, that's one of the things that I think I'm different than most people, uh, all my life. One day off, uh, of course now it's more than that, but, (laughs) um, but even when I was training super hard, I needed that mental break on, on one day a week. And um, I forgot what you were asking. Oh, yeah. The well, so where yeah. are you now? If you, so were at, if you were at 45 to 50 most of the time, where are you at now? So right now, up up to, so let me let me go back a little bit. For between uh, eight, 45 to 51, 52, which was another like big gap for me, big break, I probably was averaging f- uh, a high of 40, Eight forty-nine. So at that at that point, I, so I was still there. But then, then it was a big um, come down. So now I'm um, probably I call a really good week thirty, but I'm doing five days a week and one tr- uh, one cross cross train day and one off day. Um, but I am doing probably three more hours a week of um, strength training. So. It's it's all still a lot of work, but it's about thirty, and I want to get to thirty-five. So thirty-five versus what I my maximum, let's say fifty, yep. is is really not that much of a drop. Um, twenty-five years late, twenty years later, right? So if you do the math, if somebody who and has been doing eighty, a hundred, and you're replacing some of that volume with cross training. Uh, yeah, and I do, y- yeah. Uh, and the rest of the time is no right. joke when she's cross trains, seriously. Like oh, I know. Hour, hour her. and a half. It's extended. Lots well. of time in the weight room. And she, you've been doing that since, I knew, since yeah. I've known you, since the early 90s. You've been very serious about being in the weight room, especially since about 99 or 2000. You've been really, really serious mm-hmm. in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and not, I mean, I don't get big, so... <laughs> No, yeah, <laughs> she's got guns. You should see her. So, but you're <laughs> saying volume can come, maybe come down a little a bit, little but bit, not but crazy. 
What about you, Steve? I know you have a range of athletes in your group. Well, what do you see as? as I think the age? huge thing with this is where they're at. Oh, for me, most of my athletes are not athletes that have competed or trained as consistently or as hard as Carmen has. So, as we talked about earlier, that they're just able to handle more load because they don't have so many years of load. We had to be very careful to build them up and slowly get them to where they need to be. But once we get them two, three years in my program. I keep if somebody's uh, somebody if somebody's sweet spot is 100 miles a week and they're 65 60 years old 55 60 years old I might have them still run 100 miles a week I don't that's probably high I don't know that there's anybody that I have in that case but I can consider a scenario where that might be the case probably the biggest issue that I have with my athletes that are aging um, the venerable James Allen who's been co- I've, I've now coached for about 10 years and he's been running for a very very long time one of the things we realized with him is that we just he, you know, we just absolutely had to take one extra drop week. Like we, he couldn't, and he had to pick his shots. And a lot of times what we would do is not necessarily do the quality workout for that week, perhaps, but we would do the, the easy or medium long run that we have that Team Rogue does on every week. And he would try to stay up with people that were a little faster than him on that so we could extend. We did a lot more threshold running, mm-hmm. basically, because I seemed to get more. He wouldn't b- not break down from it. Anytime, he also has a, some hamstring issues. So anytime we would try to do anything below 10K pace, even at 10K pace, we would just end up running into problems that were just, you know, he's a, a person who's been running for 35, 40 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a different scenario. Um, but mostly what I do is not adjust volume. I adjust what they're doing on a quality basis and what right. their recovery is. And here's a variation <laughs> on that question, you know, because I think about it for myself. I've been training relatively consistently for 18 years. Not all hard. You know, I had six or so years in early childhood <laughs> for my kids where I wasn't able to do as much work. So about 12 years of hard training but a lot of volume during that time and I've done you know 90 100 mile weeks I know that my body can handle that but I also know now that I have 18 years of aerobic development and then you add in 15 years of soccer <laughs> you know aerobic development my aerobic system is pretty damn developed well I also think that's part of the point with Carmen who maybe was sweet spot was 55 to 50 she can get away with 35 and still extract a lot from that because of the sort of what is it in investment terms i mean she's basically getting her her she's accrued so much interest or so right. much she's accrued so much benefit from all those years of work that she's done that it doesn't take as much i always tell an athlete that's run you know 60 70 80 mile weeks and then they take a little bit of a break we go into a 5k 10k phase and they're all freaked out that they have to drop to 65 miles a week during the 5k 10k phase and i'm like this is the best thing you can do you're actually not going to get slower you're going to get faster and we can come back to that longer slower stuff when we need to but it's really good for you to shift gears and change gears and to lower that volume for a bit so some of that is phasing right as we've talked about before chris and some of it is just as you age it makes sense to be careful because the biggest most the worst case scenario is to get hurt because if you get hurt you're out for six weeks eight weeks and for people who are older those injuries linger longer they Mm -hmm. stay they become they stay a problem for a longer period of time you know young people when they get stress reactions and stress fractures you're like six weeks eight weeks you're out you come back they're like my dog when he broke its leg i mean two days later after they let her out of the crate she's sprinting at full blast and i'm like 
okay, well, how come all these these young athletes can't do that, but a dog can? They probably could, but they're scared to death to do it. But somebody who's over 40 years old cannot just jump back out and get after it. They have to be very careful and very strategic about how they come back. Yeah, but the overall point is if you if you have a long history of aerobic development, you don't necessarily have to keep your volume as high as you used to because you've got money in the bank, so to speak. Yep. I, 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 believe, I believe that's true, but I don't think people... Um, <laughs> Psychologically, I don't think they can do it, but but I <laughs> you think you have to be very yeah. careful how yeah. you fr- how you play that. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah, you. I mean, I I probably have done very little mileage, but if you add my mileage for the forty years that I've been running, it's probably more than um, people that run a hundred miles for a year and then nothing for two years because they got hurt or right. something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, so if if you if you look at um, the volume and the versus intensity and all that, if you if you look at three the three variables, which is um, intensity, volume, and, and frequency, and then you just kind of play with those three, three then you can um, start figuring a lot of stuff out. So um, intensity is the other one. But, but so if you do a lot of volume, that you can't do a lot of intensity. So as you get older, right, uh, or or younger, but you know you still um, you still have to, but you can still w- work as hard. I mean, I think I'm working as h- just as hard as I did when I was younger. When I do, when I go out to the track, it's just as hard as. So I don't I don't feel that I'm lost except for the speed. But so speaking of speed in the track. What kinds of workouts or speed workouts are you looking at for your athletes that are over, that are master's age? So do you change um, any variables in there? Sort of the, if you're trying to do a 5K, 10K, a 5K workout, are you changing the volume they're doing of interval? Are you changing the rec- recovery? Are you changing um, the sheer quantity of volume? How do, you, how do you look at that for a master's, ath- an athlete of over the age of 40 or 45? Are there any of those things changing? Um, nope. So I think if, if, if I've coached somebody for, um, over about a year, then I know the person, then, um, the workers, and they're going to tell you their workers are the same that I did when I was in my twenties. They're the same amount, the same everything. The only thing that changes is their pace because they can't, but the effort is the same. So it's like they're doing 98%, I mean, 95% of the effort, um, with, but it's about a minute difference in, Right. Per mile. So they're so slower, but it's the same, same equivalent workout. Yeah, and the same the same um, uh, recovery period because the I can have the same workout uh, with different goals. And so I can have a 10K workout, and then that 10K workout is going to be for picking for a 10K or for a, a half marathoner. So I just vary a little bit the, right. the you know, the, the recovery period period how fast they do it do they float or they don't but the how hard they do it effort wise is is the same it hasn't changed so we've established that you could do similar volume oh yeah but the only uh, what i was going to say is like it you don't change the workout that day but what i change is if they're in their 40s they need at least two to two and a half days recovery between hard workouts so you don't do a one on Tuesday, one on, on Thursday. The the Thursday one is going to be like a 70% effort maybe if they yeah. want to do that. When you're in your 50s, then you get like four or five days in between and so on. Yeah, yeah. So the volume is slightly reduced overall. Speed workouts similar, but recovery, the time between is different. Mm-hmm. 
and talk about that. So, so you said two and a half days at least. And when you say workout to workout, is that track workout to track workout, a track workout to tempo run, or track workout to long run? Yeah, that's okay. So that's that's one other thing that has been super hard. Uh, um, this is a w- the hardest thing for people to adjust that come to my group. Um, and I'm just going to use it as an example, not that it is just uh, good or bad. But I never thought anything of it, of having like a super hard workout on Saturday and then going back and doing a long run on Sunday because my longer runs were never longer than, I don't know, 10, 12 miles. And, but mostly, um, I'm going to say like 70 minutes, whatever that was at the time. Um, and so when a, a runner comes from another group and we that I throw them into that and so they're doing a, like a hard workout and then go do your long run but they're they're used to 18 miles as a long run they're they're just it's impossible how can <laughs> I do that um so I it took me like a, a little bit to realize that oh my god those people they're coming back from a background where their long run is 18 15 18 miles so I had to kind of um spread spread them until they're able to do that the the hard workout and then the long run um at first they didn't want to lower the mileage like you said like the volume of the long run um but so i let the intensity of the workout on saturday to take that for them so after a few months then they realize okay i i can handle about 90 minutes and just for explanation for our listeners carmen has a little bit of an unusual programming in the fact that she does one quality workout during the week and then has a Saturday quality workout and does long runs on Sunday. And I think that's one of the magic things of your program is always that your volume is not very high, but you do what we would call two hard days in a sense, what Chris and I would call two hard days back to back, just because you do a quality workout on the track or some other, you do it on the grass, you do it on the track, you do it on the, on the hills, you do a wide variety of things, but you always come back the next day and do a very easy long run mm-hmm. of shorter duration than what most people consider a long run. Yeah. But yeah. those days are, they're, they're, they're actually a marriage. They're actually kind of the same workout. They're sort of two parts Pretty of the much, same yeah. workout that a lot of people don't understand. You had a great success with Cassandra Henkel, who qualified for the Olympic trials multiple times with a lot of that kind of programming where she did a long, hard workout on a Saturday and then came back with a long run on Sunday, mm-hmm. which she, over many years, was prepared for that. But it's a little bit of a different scheduling than what some of our athletes do, um, but still equally effective. And it sort of gives gives our listeners an understanding of why a lower-volume program might be effective in that system because you're getting a lot of bang for your buck on both of those two days Mm -hmm. and then they're getting a good recuperation and recovery your workouts are usually on wednesday mornings so Mm -hmm. your athletes are getting two full day basically all days the rest of the day sunday right Mm -hmm. all day monday all day tuesday and then a wednesday morning workout so anyway i just wanted to explain to our listeners who are really adept at understanding they they're not used to that we're usually tuesday thursday saturday and many of our listeners are paying attention to that so so as you age, a little bit more time between workouts where you're focusing mm-hmm. on speed. What else from a recovery standpoint do you have to amp up? Um, you mean recovery between, between yeah, hard workouts and hard, hard Yeah, days? between hard workouts. Is there something besides the time, just betwi- besides waiting longer or adjusting the intensity of that next one if it's going to be too soon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I start doing like uh, I coach most of the athletes very and myself very um, s- specifically once they're on a on a like they have a goal. So yeah, if 
if they don't recover. So I look at how they recover the next day. And if they're hurting, I, I might extend that to, you know, an extra day. So let's say my my program right now, which I'm like, okay, um, I, I would do, um, oh, okay. So that, let me, let me, exp uh, this might help a lot. If, if um, once I was, when I was 40, maybe, um, I would go on weeks, like, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then the long run. So I had like a normal week for many years. Then that week I have to extend it to like an, uh, a week and a half. So I had, I might have my three workouts, but they were within a week and a half. Right now what I'm doing is probably extending that week to two and a half weeks. And I don't care. It, it, it's, it just works. So the same three workouts now done that used to be done in a week are down over two and a half mm -hmm. weeks. So if you think about how that slows you down, that's basically what's happening. Your periodization, periodization changes, changes a lot, by, yeah. by inserting recovery. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yeah, and more and more of it as the time goes, mm -hmm. which really follows one of our basic principles, Chris, which is hard days, hard, easy days, easy. You just need more days easy mm -hmm. before you can do your next hard day. And, you're, st and yeah. you're still running in those in-between days, just easy running? I'm, and yes. And then cross-training? Um, yeah, I'm just, I just cross-train right now one day. When I get, if I get any, any injuries or anything that is not, doesn't seem right, then I do more cross-training. And at this point, I don't really mind. I was one person, what I told Steve, like 10 years ago, would never catch me. Mm -hmm. cross training for i don't know why but so suddenly you start i started doing that and it's like well this is helping me recover and i can do more work that way and uh and and i recover uh, so you're probably, probably so still doing aerobically your 50 miles a week you've just 35 uh, on the ground and another 10 to 15 in elliptic what and what are you doing are you doing uh elliptical are you doing aqua jogging what 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 ch what are your favorite cross training and our listeners knowing that we're not talking about weight training weight training is a different day yeah. that's not the same as cross training so what yeah. what other activities are you doing um, to aerob help your aerobic development i'm just doing uh bicycle like but indoors right now so mm -hmm. if we go outdoors i don't really I don't think I get much out of it. I just go for, I can go for three hours. I get the aerobic. So I go for three hours, but it's not very hard. Um, I just have no power to go that hard. <laughs> and so I don't think, I mean, I think my, my heart can take it. So I don't get much out of it, but my legs can't do it. So I can't go there very fast, but it's still the work is there. So on the bike at the gym. So if, if I'm, if it's a, if it's a 40 minute day jog for me, but I'm going to go on the bike, then I double that. So I go an hour 20 just because. But And then aqua jogging, I can go pretty hard, as you know, we used to do it. Yeah, she said aqua jogging is, you've, you are a aqua jogging champion. If there was an aqua, aqua jogging <laughs> Olympics, I think Carmen would probably be a gold medalist. <laughs> I, I can get my heart rate up there easily. And, and um, you use and the I belt or, the, or no I belt? I use the belt, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. because yeah, I want form, like ro good right. running form. And then, um, and then I started kind of getting on the elliptical, which was really hard at first, but I'm kind of getting the hang of it. And I found that you can go, um, you can do mile repeats there faster, as fast as when you were younger, although it's probably not the... Mm -hmm. But but I can. Yeah, I there's can no load, but you're able to get get yeah. that kind of. You're getting your 
your cardiovascular system in the same distress mm-hmm. that you that you did when it's you were younger. It's just painful. It's yeah. just it's yeah. it's strange. I don't, I don't like it too much, but I'm <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it a little more. But the point for listeners is you're taking extra days, but that doesn't mean days of doing nothing. Oh yeah, that no, means no. days of doing aerobic work, cross training, or easy running, in between, so that you recover for that next mm-hmm. workout. Let's talk about sleep. There are rumors that sleep becomes more difficult as you age, but we all know how important it is as probably the number one recovery tool. How does that evolve? Um, I don't. I don't have much trouble sleeping. I, I mean, I, I have trouble falling asleep if Ricardo. But if if um, if Ricardo is a testament of getting older and losing sleep, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I mean, he falls asleep in one second and wakes up. He can wake up fifteen hours later <laughs> or nice. or. Or two hours later. He doesn't he have old to. man's disease. No, it's no, good. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so I don't know. But for me, if I if I had a hard day's training um, and just everything is going well, I have no problem sleeping. Um, you know, if if you start having stress of any kind, then it it, it is just it's a little harder. But um, but I really find it that if I don't sleep, I can do away with one day of like, you know, four or five hours if something happened. But two days in a row, I can I can feel it. And not just running. I mean, and you're I'm you guys have taken you're the first people that made me realize how crucial sleep was. So even at in your heyday, Saturdays were were get yeah. up early, do a workout, sometimes get up early, sometimes do it in the afternoon, evening when the weather was nice. But you, it was, it was the weekends were for sleeping and relaxing. It was not for going out and shopping and doing other things. You, you, yeah. If you were in the Troncoso house, I got to live with them for a while. It was, it was like hibernation, especially <laughs> as you got movie. closer and closer to big races, it would be more and more and more sleep. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, that's unrealistic. If you have kids, if you have, yeah. you know, and there's, <laughs> a, there's a it. lot, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of things. I mean, um, the only reason I, um, have to work out early on Saturdays is because I have to coach, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, to me it's it's amazing that if the it's cold and it's darker and I go okay can we meet at eight today instead <laughs> of you know, and I get half the group is like ah oh, can we do it at six thirty I'm like oh <laughs> god, um so but that's that's so the reason sleep is still important just as very important eight eight hours nine hours but I know it's unrealistic but if as much as you can. Well, I mean, theoretically, as you age, it should get more realistic because hopefully the kids are starting to move on or out of the house or they're able to do their own thing. You know, my hope is that in seven years when I'm 45, I can take more naps than I do now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about strength training. We obviously mentioned that losing muscle mass is a big deal and that really if you're going to start to combat the strength reduction that comes with age is that you got to start when you're 35 and not 45. But what does that look like? Does it look like it would when you're in your 20s or is it different? For me, it does. It does look the same, but it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. I'm, I mean, I just ha- I was lucky because I was working at the Hills, which was a, I was working for a doctor that owned the Hills. So I had the gym right there. So I would go work out before the before work. And it was very easy. But you don't have to have a gym. You don't have to. You can do... Um, uh, I was just reading one article on that, and it said, uh, just go and do gym. What we used to do calisthenics when we were kids. So, um, cruise, the cruise workout mm-hmm. that we used to do mm-hmm. is just jumping jacks, um, that kind of thing. Burpees, for like burpees jumping jacks. Yeah. Yep. Which is basically mountain climbers, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Basically, yep. like CrossFit, but um, 
it's just that they're just bringing back all that like we used to do a lot of that now you don't need to you don't need a lot of weight to stay it's it's just the fact that you are jumping up and down you and you're doing you know just lifting p stressing the muscle a little bit so if you're going to be on a machine if i'm on a machine what i do is like just try to get um fatigued and uh, but but i also figured it into the um, you know getting older part of it you know i don't want to get completely fatigued if i have a hard workout the next day and i want to do okay on it so um but i just do basically the same things that i used to do and i've gone back to doing plyometrics now believe it or not so basic body weight stuff uh and yes. plyo where you're doing jumping and more mm -hmm. dynamic movement and strength how do you do that without getting hurt as you age? Because I know that's a big risk factor when you start doing plyometrics. Yeah, I um, I don't have my runners do that much because I need to be like uh, supervising. But I also, uh, for me, because I used to do it um, intensely when I was running well. So I went back to thinking, what what are the things that I was doing in my mid-30s when I was doing the best and one of them was that as you get older, you start kind of running. I just noticed the people running um, uh, towards the ground instead of bounding, like when you're younger. Right. So what's going on there? So I figure it's probably it's just that reflex, um, you know, movement of touching the ground and, and rebounding from there, getting energy from the ground. And so that that has to be all your muscles working at you know at once or like it in an instant and propelling you for the next step so if you don't practice that you're not gonna you're gonna get um slower and slower so what i think um, what about jump rope oh yeah i mean i Is could that good yes it, in fact you don't instead of doing plyometrics i would say just start with jumping rope um start with 30 minutes like reps of 30 sorry 30 seconds 30 <laughs> whoa whoa yeah. Carmen, you're and killing welcome me. to an hour no no no. start with with like 30 second um you know intervals just like we do so we had this workout that steve probably did before oh, yeah. the cruise workout many times so we do like um you know 30 seconds jumping jacks then you sprint 100. so it's straights and curves basically but instead of the curves it's Straight, 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 straight. All four 100-meter sprints Sprint. with a with a plyometric slash calisthenic yeah. exercise. So you're doing a circuit, essentially. It's a circuit yeah. with a 100-meter. And we, this is how we started the season. And it ends after, what is it, two laps? You do 800 yeah. of, of interval work, and then you do an 800-meter interval. As hard as, as, hard as you can. That, yeah. was, that was the monster. That was but you'd be amazed how easily, after like 100 yards... You go, oh my god, what? So because your muscles are firing, everything's. On. I think so. I yeah, think, and you would yeah. you would just you would really hurt the first hundred, and then you'd start feeling good, yeah. and then the last hundred you'd really start hurting too because you're mm -hmm. running hard. A hard eight is hard. Period. Hard. Yeah. 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 yeah, but it is it is much easier. Uh, not not easy, but it's like it really helps you believe that you can you know actually sprint at some you know in, that, in the middle of a race. And the history of that workout is Joaquin Cruz used yeah. to do that. Um, his coach, Theo Oliveira, um, believed in a lot. He was the, the great Brazilian 800-meter runner who ran at the University of Oregon and was an Olympic gold medalist and a world record holder and was the, the greatest 800-meter runner of his time. Um, and he did a lot of fast running and a lot of, of drill, what we would call yeah. drills, calisthenics, and a lot of bounding, a lot of that kind of work. So... 
basic body weight stuff, some dynamic strength movements if you can, but you got to be careful about the plyometrics. Jump rope. I've been thinking about adding that to my routine because that's something that I feel like that elastic energy, that ability to kind of mm-hmm. pop off the ground and move quickly from stride to stride, I think is really important. You you mentioned flexibility becomes important too. Dynamic stretching. What what would you include there as things to think about? Well, I think the dynamic stretching is it's it's basically what we were talking about the jumping, the jump a little bit of jumping jacks and that stuff before you start a workout. Not not necessarily like every single every run, but I do a lot of times in my easy runs, stop halfway and do five minutes of, you know. Not jumping jacks, but things like that, like jumping jacks, drills. like but You do lots of drill. You always did lots of drills. Mm-hmm. You a skips, B skips, sweeps, um, yeah. karaoke. Yeah. So the drills um, help you a lot with uh, continuing. You know, being able to uh, fire the same yeah. because you're using, you're doing the drills mimic whatever it is you're doing on your running. Right, so just breaking down that movement. Yeah, yeah, breaking down. So yeah, I'll do drills on my easy. Whenever I'm doing doubles, I'll do drills on the second run of the day. Mm-hmm. Three, yeah. three miles, you know, mile and a half, two drills in the middle, mile and a half to finish. Mm-hmm. The running can be as easy as I feel like I need to go. Yep. And the drills kind of turn the lights back on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But you're not doing any static stretching. Um, I don't do much. I do at, at the end of my day when I do the foam rolling, I do a little bit, but not um, not a lot mostly because i'm really bad at it like i'm i'm just <laughs> so i feel like Sorry i'm um I'm hurting yourself more if you do yes it. Yeah. yes so i just do enough i mean i do open my hips a lot and my uh hip flexors and then the back um and that that's kind of enough for me but um but i i do have heard uh and i'm not an expert on this that it's it's better to do dynamic than do it the, the static ones so yep. um but I, I'm not going to swear on that. I don't know. So similar overall volume, similar speed work, but more time between workouts. Amp up your strength work. Add more dynamic movement, mobility into your routine. And as you mentioned at the beginning, really think about cleaning up your diet. I mean, for me, it's like it happened when I was 30. <laughs> when it started, I went from being that trash compactor <laughs> person uh-huh. to... Then having to start thinking about it, and it only seems to be getting worse every year since then, to the point now where I'm like, man, I've really got to do something about nutrition. Wait till you, wait till you get older. <laughs> and yeah. So, anyway, I hear that <laughs> and loud our, and clear, but it's hard for me. Yeah, and the women also, you know, we haven't we haven't even discussed specific aging issues with women. Maybe we'll have to have you on another time to talk sort of that transition that happens with women that 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 I'm sure they have a lot of questions that about. M word. Yes, that yeah. that M word that that. Um, my partner currently is <laughs> finished, is just just experienced, um, and uh, I know that from Ruth's perspective, she said to me, "You need to ask Carmen about all these questions." I said, "We're probably going to have to a- have her on for another another session because those concerns are." I mean, we could take an hour easily on some of those Menopause issues. Menopause episode? Yes. Okay. Yes. Or women's running with yes. a with yes another with another women's running yep. episode with I that I as a discussion. I think that's definitely another topic yeah. because I have one last question and that relates to racing. We talked about kind of having a twelve year period to continue. Maybe you can stretch that if you do some of these things we've talked about. Depending on when you start, you can get faster. But what about racing in general? Should you be racing less? You know, 
fewer marathons, changing your distances a little bit. How should you think about racing as a master's athlete? Um, I, uh, I think, okay, so I, I try to race every six weeks. It hasn't happened in the last two years just because different things. Uh, it, maybe nothing to do, not much to do with running, but like just life in general. So um, I, I love racing. So I, I would race, not every weekend, let's say, but I would race every month. And when I was younger, I raced more. Um, but I just, my recommendation would be race as much as you can as long as you're recovering from it. So... I do give myself after a race a period of uh, no matter what, take a break, even if I feel great, because a lot of people feel great after a race and they had a plan of resting a couple of days and they don't. They just go back into their training. Just stick to your, you know, recover because your body needs to recover and then start training again. And once you feel like you can race again, go ahead and do it. But I did read... uh, while I was preparing for this, I read something that was kind of sweet for me because it said that uh, even for a marathoner, um, you, they recommend a couple of coaches, uh, elite coaches said, I recommend uh, marathoners to train us, to race as many 5Ks and 8Ks as they can because um, it's the ultimate um, tempo race. It's the ultimate VO2 max yeah. Um, you know, it, and it is hard because we've been marathon. talking about it, Carmen. Yeah. yeah. We that. talk about it oh. all the time. I, you know, it's, uh, num- I have two reasons for it. Number one is, um, that you, many adult marathoners cannot, uh, they don't have the, the background of being, you know, 800 meter, 1500 meter, 5k runners. And so they're not particularly adept at doing that kind of work. So when I say we're going to do 12 times 200 at 5K pace, like usually with those athletes, you're you're putting the bit and bridle on them, oh trying yeah. to slow them down. And my athletes, they cannot go fast and they cannot get it turned over. Yeah. You know, you do you do 5K, 800 meters reps at 5K pace and it blows their mind and they, get, they, they just are terrible at it. And But they seem to be much better if you throw them into a race. And yes. so they're able to get mo- much more out of that mm-hmm. than they would otherwise. And the second thing is, is I truly believe the 5K and the marathon are sister races. They are, you go through the same peaks and valleys, the same lots of yeah. questions that happen. A fi- what happens at a 5K plays out in a much shorter, compact, immediate 15 minute or 20 minute or 25 minute window rather than the mm-hmm. two hour or two and a half hour, three hour, four hour window. But the same sort of journey happens just shorter. And yeah. I think athletes yeah. that practice that and get used to it, they're much less stressed when it comes to marathoning. So I kind of, I've noticed that over the years. It's wow. I, they're racing it exactly the same way. They're going through the same experiences. They, if they go out too fast, they're dead. It's over for, you know, if you go yeah. out too fast at 5k, exactly. if you're fucking cooked, it's over. You might as well just jog yeah. it in and same thing in a marathon. So mm-hmm. awesome. So still yeah. race, but just give yourself time to recover. Yeah. I don't know each. about the marathon. I mean, j- j- if, if I told you my, my, I, I'd say one marathon a year, but that's but that's just because I want I want people to do everything. 
to do everything between marathons, yep. like right. to improve on everything before marathons, between yeah. marathons. But um, but yeah, I don't we've know. We've talked about that. Preach too. it, sister. Preach it. We've keep talked about that. Keep too. preaching on. Keep oh. telling them. We keep trying to get them. Well, <laughs> I thought I thought I was gonna get some. Uh, no, no. Oh. We believe no. that it's just very hard with our population. They just want to run another marathon right away, yeah. and they're marathon centric. And we're that's part of the reason we created this podcast in the first place was to get yeah. people excited about the sport, mm-hmm. li- watching the fifteen hundred meters and the five k's and the three k's and the ten k's, but also getting themselves out there and realizing a true periodized plan is not marathon after marathon after marathon, but going through yeah. phases and different pacing phases. You can only yeah. be your best marathoner if you're working all all parts of the range. Yeah. yeah and that I, means I, racing yeah, and targeting. If you, racing. If, I mean, if you drop your 10K by a, a minute or two, which is very doable for a lot of these runners, um, you right there you just you already did uh what two eight eight minutes in the marathon i know yeah and in uh, i i wouldn't be able to do, i wouldn't equate that to uh, you know for me because i i would have to do all the mileage but those guys have so much mileage that it was just be a matter of just getting them yep. back on the road and so true yeah P- it's funny because people get when i talk to them about training for something besides a marathon marathon they get really scared they think well if I run a 5K for a while, then I won't be as good at the marathon somehow oh, because no. they missed the marathon cycle. But I always have to stress that y- you only get better at the marathon if you get better at the 5K or 10K and half as well. So you got to work all those parts of the range. In yeah, order and, to get and, and you don't lose everything. That's what I tell the my few marathon is like you don't you really don't lose everything that you already gained that year right. training for the marathon. It's just that you're putting it on hold a little bit. I mean, if, unless you get injured and have to take time off. But if you don't get injured and you just continue with training other systems, it's there. You'll, you know, it's mu- it would be much is- much harder for me to be able to do that. Than and you want to talk about longevity. I think that's a key to longevity. I mean, for me, as somebody who's basically done one marathon a year my entire running career of 18 years, I don't think I would be where I am now if I was doing two or three marathons a year. But the fact that I've done one marathon a year, done other distances, I've run more 10Ks than I have marathons, more half marathons than I have marathons. Not as many 5Ks. i got to work on that, Steve. But We've, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, believe me, I know. But anyway, but, but that, I think that's a part of longevity is, is doing different distances helps you extend your career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, another thing that worries me now that we're talking about extending careers is, Never in my career have I had as many runners running as much high mileage right now than I do now. I've got a lot of runners running in that 85 plus mileage right. per week range. And these are these are family people who, who yeah. have families and That's everything very else. Impressive to me. It's very impressive More to me as well. But one of the things I'm really worried about is that no, I cannot convince them to not go over 20 miles. They want to go 20 miles nearly every weekend. And my, it's a really big worry for me. I'm, I don't know the real answer, but my gut is telling me, because I haven't had that many people do it. Usually I'm pushing my athletes to run a 20-mile run. Now I'm actually saying, no, I don't know how many 20-milers we have in us in a year or a two-year or a five-year window. Let's not spend all our money right now. Like, let's save some of it. Let's run a 16- or 18-mile run, because we can do a lot of other different things mm-hmm. in those paces. But um, well, anyway, so we'd, we'd love to hear you your 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 vision that way. It, it solidifies what our thinking is and also but makes us realize you can be really good not necessarily having to maximize the amount of miles you run. For, for people that train for a lot of marathoners or just marathoners, marathons, um, and I have a couple of them that, you know, like go from like two or three marathons a year. Um, 
I tried to push two, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's just hard because it's hard as a coach to get them to be better. They can do them. I'm not. I have no doubt they can just run them. But but they want to PR at everyone. To get yes. better, you have we to yeah, change the system. But one good one way to do it um, would be if you if you're doing just one is like have them do a lot of a lot of distance, the 20 milers up to I don't know what it is. To, for me, it would be like um, about a 20 to 22 mile runs much early, like six months out, mm-hmm. and then then drop it and um, use that to race a, a good half marathon, 10 mile or something like that, a couple of races with a lot of uh, intensity for, you know, 10K intensity. And then and then bring it up and again. And come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. bring it up again. But then you can stretch that into, you don't have to do it every weekend. Then you can have a lot of hard workouts, the, w- the ones that you do yeah. that are great. But it's, they're very hard to do when the uh, runners are also doing you know trying to increase their mileage at the same time that they're doing all that so they don't get the, the full benefit of it but if you can stretch the whole thing you can it's a great point it. because most programs are built with the mileage getting bigger as you go and you'll if you pull a, a marathon program off the internet your peak mileage is going to be four weeks out from the marathon i know which is really frankly backwards it should be <laughs> s- you know five months out then you bring it down to add the intensity, and then you might get close to there again as you get most of that to, f- to the very end, just because a feel your long runs are there and so forth, yeah. and all yeah. of it's kind of coming back and together. Mentally, you want to have that. yes, you want to have those mentally. You want right. the feel Remember. to be right. Yeah, but but yeah, most programs are kind of backwards in a sense, yep. in that way where their their biggest miles are just right before the race. So, and that may be another topic, Steve, as we get to our. Uh, prep for cim build which we're we've kind of talked about so yep. anyway we're done on time for today thank you carmen for joining us that was fascinating that and was lots awesome. of good meat in there for everybody who's listening and hopefully that satisfied your questions about masters training but if you have others please do send them to us because this is probably worthy of having carmen back on yeah we point. should do a question and answer get get the best questions <clears throat> and bring her on so you can reach me at chris at roguerunning.com if you have questions on this topic Otherwise, thanks for listening to episode 63. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.